It's tough to develop a new effective drug when we're on a solid foundation of disease knowledge. How can we develop drugs when we have a paradigm shift in oncology? You're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing current therapies for new uses. And my guest is Dr. Jeff Settleman, Director, Cancer Molecular Therapeutics and Professor of Medicine, Massachusetts General Hospital Cancer Center in Boston. Dr. Settleman and I are discussing how the paradigm shift in medical oncology affects drug development strategies. Dr. Settleman, welcome to ReachMD. Thanks for having me here. So how is the landscape of oncology drug development changing these days? Well, I think it's changing in a couple of important ways, one of which is that we're seeing an increased use of biomarkers to identify potential targets for drug development. Uh, and also, we're really exploiting our accumulated knowledge of the tumor cell and its various lesions and wiring features uh, in thinking about what are the right targets to use to develop drugs against. Let's get into some detail. Give us some examples of what we're talking about. When we think about some of the exciting developments uh, in terms of new cancer drugs over the last five years or so, then we have to think about some of the great success stories we've seen recently. For example, use of Herceptin in treating uh, a subset of breast cancers with HER2 gene amplification, the use of drugs like Gleevec, small molecule kinase inhibitor, which uh, can target a few different kinases that uh, play a role, for example, in chronic myelogenous leukemia, gastrointestinal stromal tumors, and then, of course, Tarceva, uh, which seems to exhibit good clinical activity in about 10 or 15% of non-small cell lung cancers, a targeted inhibitor of the EGF receptor in that case. And so these uh, essentially smart drugs or targeted kinase inhibitors uh, have really changed the way we think about kinases in general as targets for drug development. What's on the horizon for this? Where are we in this new paradigm shift? Well, if we think just about kinases, what we come to realize quickly is that since there are more than 500 kinases encoded by the human genome, many of which have been implicated in various ways in the uh, phenotype of tumor cells, that there may be rich opportunities there for identifying new important targets. Uh, together with the fact that there are a lot of efforts going on now to resequence cancer genomes and to identify new mutant alleles, and there's been especially a lot of focus on uh, sequencing kinase genes, that we may find new evidence of mutated oncogenic kinases um, that we hadn't considered before, and that will create an opportunity potentially for new drug development. So I think as we look at the cancer genome, we'll start to see a real increase in uh, the number of therapeutic opportunities. So you mentioned that we may see evidence that there are some oncogenic mutations that cause different kinds of kinases to be developed in cancer cells. Do we have any evidence of those kinds of kinases being found already? Sure. So probably the best example that we have from the sequencing efforts is the discovery from the Sanger Institute of uh, BRAF activating mutations in about 7% of human cancers. And this has created a very important therapeutic opportunity that's currently being uh, explored clinically. Uh, that is, inhibitors of the RAF pathway may prove to be uh, highly efficacious clinically, and that, that remains to be seen, but that was an exciting outcome from the 
specifically that came from the efforts of, of sequencing uh, the genome of cancer cells. So do normal cells also use that pathways, but cancer cells are more dependent on the pathway, or do normal cells not use that pathway? The hope and expectation is that tumor cells have a greater use of that pathway because they may have developed a dependency or addiction, as some refer to it, on a particular signaling pathway that's driven by, in this case, an oncogenic kinase. So that state of addiction that a tumor cell uh, can be susceptible to renders it potentially vulnerable to a specific inhibitor in a way that's very different from the vulnerability that a normal cell uh, might be susceptible to. And so I think what we're talking about is a therapeutic window where we have the ability to discriminate based on the different needs of a tumor cell and a normal cell. And of course, there's still the potential for toxicity with any of these inhibitors because they will inhibit to some degree the activity of these kinases in normal tissues. And in most cases, we just don't know what the normal requirement is for those kinases in normal tissues. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and I'm speaking with Dr. Jeff Settleman of the Massachusetts General Hospital Cancer Center about a paradigm shift in oncology drug development. Are there other categories of drugs besides kinase inhibitors that we're talking about? There are certainly other areas uh, being explored, but I would say that most of the effort right now in the pharmaceutical and biotech industries uh, seems to be focused on kinases. And I think that's largely because there have been some successes already and because there are so many more kinases out there remaining to be explored uh, that this seems like a real viable direction. When we're talking about this kind of focus, are we thinking about having a new cancer blockbuster drug or lots of sort of boutique drugs? Right. And this is an important issue, particularly with regard to the marketing strategy of of the pharmaceutical and biotech companies. Uh, Things get complicated by uh, this notion that we can target specific pathways that may only be relevant in a small fraction of, say, colon cancer patients. But what we have to keep in mind is that For these drugs to be blockbusters, it's still possible, even though the market shrinks when we start to personalize treatment and we deal with a subset of of any particular tumor case. And I think a good example of that is is Gleevec. So Gleevec, which was initially used in the context of chronic myelogenous leukemia, uh, a relatively uh, uncommon disease, and it showed good efficacy. And the reason Gleevec became essentially a blockbuster drug is because not only did it turn out to have activity in other disease settings, but it also is administered chronically for cancer treatment. We have to keep in mind that traditional chemotherapy drugs, even though in many cases the market is quite large, these are used for a relatively short period of treatment. When you're talking about a drug like Gleevec, you're talking about patients that are taking it every day for several years. And so we're really talking about a chronic treatment And then the equation, of course, shifts quite a bit in terms of how the company will earn money uh, based on distribution of a drug like Gleevec. Are we really talking about, with this paradigm shift, turning cancer from an acute life-and-death disease to a chronic manageable disease? Yeah, I think certainly a lot of of folks in the pharmaceutical and biotech industry are thinking about that aspect of, of treatment. And I think there's really good reason to think that that's the case. We don't yet know that we're able to completely cure disease with any of these, for example, kinase inhibitors as single-agent treatments. Uh, We have the issue of resistant stem cells. 
Uh, we have acquired resistance in one form or another. That means that patients will eventually progress on, on treatment with most of these agents. And so then we have to think about the second-line treatment to overcome resistance and essentially maintain a chronic state of remission. So we may not be talking about cures here. We may, in fact, be talking about turning this into a chronic disease. Do cancer cells evolve beyond their need to rely on these kinase pathways? We have evidence that they do, in fact, evolve past their need to rely on these. They, they may become resistant because they switch to an alternative pathway. And, of course, once we identify that pathway, we can think about a new target opportunity and a second drug to uh, overcome resistance in that case or, or to prolong survival. And so we're really thinking about, again, a chronic situation where one drug might follow another, or alternatively, one could imagine combining drugs up front to prevent the acquisition of drug resistance. So as I'm listening to you, I'm sort of foreseeing the research in the future we find a good kinase inhibitor, we give it to patients after six or seven years, they slowly begin to not have an effect of it. Then we find another marker and do a sequential thing. And then for patients in the future, they start with those two drugs and we keep adding to the cocktail. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, I think so. And in fact, unfortunately, it's significantly less than six or seven years. I mean, for example, with Tarceva, you know, the average treatment duration may be six to nine months, and then we already need to move on and find something else, an alternative treatment. With Gleevec, in, in the context of CML, for example, remissions can last for several years. But again, patients eventually seem to progress on treatment, and so we will need to come up with next-generation inhibitors. But your point about putting them together as an upfront up treatment, I think that's certainly one strategy that's being considered I think the challenge there relates to toxicity. As we start to add these drugs together, will we get overlapping toxicities and, and limit their ability to be combined? So could you see the time when we might use a kinase inhibitor therapy with something like an immune modulation therapy? And could we take advantage of the different areas where people are doing research to combine to make a cancer cocktail? Yeah, I think that we, we can think certainly think about those kinds of strategies combining uh, essentially different types of targeting mechanisms within the same treatment regimen. It gets challenging to model the efficacy of those things preclinically. One has to probably use mouse models, for example, to look at the role of immune modulation together with kinase inhibition. And I think it remains to be determined whether some of these models are reliably going to predict outcomes in patients. So conceptually, uh, sure, these kinds of different disciplines can be brought together in a co-treatment regimen, but things do get complicated in terms of modeling these kinds of treatments preclinically. So what you're saying is, unless we were just able to go directly and test this on patients, we might not really know the right thing to do, and doing it in the lab might not head us in the right direction? I think that's right. I think that some of this may be essentially guesswork. We can come up with some rational explanations for why a particular treatment combination might be effective, but currently we don't have good tools for looking at that preclinically, and we may have to answer those questions in clinical trials, which of course is not ideal. For patients who don't really have an alternative because there's no good treatment out there, is there a way for them to enroll in some kind of a clinical trial or get this kind of treatment from their local physician? Well, a lot of these targeted agents as single agents, um, when they haven't been approved, are, of 
introduced in the context of clinical trials, and, and certainly patients that meet the criteria for treatment would be eligible. And so there are certainly a number of trials going on with targeted agents here at the MGH Cancer Center, as well as other cancer centers. New cancer drugs are on the drawing board and in the test labs all over the world. But our understanding of the dynamics of cancer challenges the assumptions on which these drugs are being developed. What will the future hold? I want to thank our guest, Dr. Jeff Settleman, for helping us through this paradigm shift and its effect on finding a cure for cancer. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that repurposes existing treatments for new uses. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.